0: Hi, this is Michael Lowe, and you're listening to May I Ask You a Question? This is the second part of my conversation with Aaron Gray, pastor for Preaching and Vision at Sound City Bible Church in Linwood, Washington, where my family and I attend. In this episode, we talk about the Rise and Fall of the Mars Hill podcast from Mike Cosper and Christianity Today. We talk about Aaron's participation in it, our thoughts on how it could benefit the church, and our reflections on it overall. Thanks for listening. So speaking of the podcast, the yeah. now famed podcast, Rise and, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, yeah. uh, you have listened. I have listened, yes. Do you have any immediate reactions uh, mm. uh, that are wor- that <laughs> yeah. that yeah you care to share? Mm.
1: Well, I mean, I think the obvious one that most everyone can agree on is just how well done it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike, as I mentioned, I've known him for, I've known him for probably five or six years. Okay. And he had a number of podcasts that he was doing just independently before he went to christianity today to become the director of podcasts so just i mean one of the reasons why it blew up the way it did is because it's just so well done yeah yeah. um i would also say as someone who um, i was not an insider for the whole entire time i came just for the last three years of mars hill Mm -hmm. but because i did the investigation and because i spent so much time with people who were there kind of from day one um, i think he did a really really excellent job of accurately portraying the realities of mars hill Mm -hmm. and that includes the good and the bad there were multiple times where he would say things like you know he would tell stories of people whose lives got changed and the deep community that they developed and um, marriages that were restored I think he did a a good job of emphasizing that but he also emphasized these different threads and these different things that were kind of mixed in they were intertwined so there's all this good Mm -hmm. and then there's a lot of unhealthy and bad that's mixed in there Yeah. and yeah so that was that was really good um yeah, I think there's there's maybe some things that editorially I would have done a little bit different. I'm I'm also a creative type of person, and so I think yeah. there's always going to be opinions on, well, if I had done it or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, that's neither here nor there. I think on the whole, um, you know, two, two, th- two thumbs up from from me on that. Yeah. You know, and I, obviously I participated in it because, yeah. uh, especially the latter the latter two uh, the last two episodes because that was more my time that I was involved with Mars. But. Yeah. Yeah, there was things, actually even listening through the podcast, I was chuckling, like people are having like, oh my gosh, it was so, you know, I'm learning all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, that was my summer of 2014 when I was doing the investigation. Oh. That's what everyone else just got to walk through what I did seven and a half years ago. So, sorry world. <laughs> do you, uh, um, do you think that, uh,
0: so he interviewed you're kind of what you're saying is that uh in 2014 summer 2014 you had to interview a lot of people and mm-hmm.
1: saying, hey, a lot of those people that were on the podcast or... yeah
0: and so do you think that he ended up ended up having a similar feeling yeah. as you did yeah.
1: yeah yeah i had lunch with mike in october uh in louisville just this just a few months ago as he was wrapping up the uh wrapping up the podcast and as he was telling me kind of his experience of it too, I joked, I said, I hope you got a good therapist because yeah. <laughs> he was carrying a lot of that weight and a lot of that burden for others, hear, you know, reliving those stories and hearing them again and then trying to be a faithful storyteller mm-hmm. and sharing what is he's hearing and seeing. And, um, yeah, so I, I've got a lot of respect for the way that he went about it. Again, there's things I would probably do differently. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it was on the whole, really, really, um, a net positive yeah. there's a net positive
0: was it hard for you to listen to no
1: not overall not overall maybe certain portions yeah Yeah. a little bit yeah I, I think just again <clears throat> not to not to sound you know I don't know what it, but just like that's what I already went through that yep. so I think a lot of people are like, oh it's so hard to listen to it's like well I I did already walk through this whole almost this whole kind of narrative and there's some things I learned along the way as well like other people but yeah um. Yeah. So I think it, I think it was it was not a particularly there was there was nothing that was like wow I'd never heard that before. Yeah. But so it wasn't super hard for me to listen to. Enough. I
0: guess though. Also, uh, was it hard in that? Uh, did it take you back to that summer of 2014 and make you feel like oh <laughs> oh yeah at that point in my life and, yeah. and kind of I don't know if you were particularly low during that time I can't imagine you were yeah like enjoyed
1: okay but- so so the 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 main okay so going back to 2014. There was a saving grace of at least knowing that I didn't really do anything. So in that season, people were really upset about the book sale thing. They were mm-hmm. upset about.
0: Um, like you were more third party than yeah. Like I was truly pro- I was a
1: proxy. Yep. I was a proxy. I made zero of those decisions that people were mad about. Yep. I didn't do any of those things. Um, so. You know, if somebody was kind of yelling at me about <clears throat> book sales for a while, i try to kind of toe the, the line, toe the PR line or whatever. And then eventually it's just kind of like, well, you know what? You know, I've got my questions about this as well. And they're not really mad at me. They're mad at somebody else who made this decision. And yeah. so there was a saving grace It was exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was super tiring, just the amount of work and hours I was putting in.
0: You say that physically, emotionally? Physically like
1: exhausting, mentally exhausting. It was not as emotionally exhausting because I had that little bit of detachment from the situation. Then you fast forward now to this last fall. So I had this gift of being on a three-month pastoral sabbatical. (coughs) So as the podcast hits, I'm having a break from my own ministry and life and challenges, a, a very gracious gift from the Lord and from our church. So as the podcast is coming out, I actually had some of the space to just be able to Mm. experience it for what it was, to not have to listen, you know, I'm not listening to the podcast episode, driving to the office and then going in to have a hard conversation with somebody as a pastor or whatever. I was, I was more or less on. Your mind was more clear. Yeah, a little bit more clear and able to process some of it it as it happened. So
0: Is there a way that you would uh, encourage somebody, either say somebody who hasn't listened or somebody who's still kind of wrestling with what they heard, how you would, uh, any perspective that you would, or or frame that you would, um, the way that you would frame uh, the way that they think about it?
1: The the only thing, just, you know, if, if, again, if I was, some of this is just based on my own personality type, but it's also based on the relationships I have. Mike... Told the story of the rise and the fall of Marcel, and so the fall, he has to tell why why that happens. And I just think there are people who still to this day, from the outside looking in, or just your average member, they they experience a lot of God's grace as a part of being like a member of Marcel Church. Um, I had a conversation with a gentleman just a month ago, uh, and he said he's he's a part of our church. Uh, he's older, and he said, "You know what? I just don't want to listen to that podcast." Yeah. He's like, "I understand that there were problems. I'm not turning a blind eye." He's like, yeah. "I just, I got, I got some really great friends and some really good memories, and the Lord really got a hold of my heart, like for the first time ever." Yeah, when I was there at Mars Hill, and he's like, so, "I'm just not going to listen to the podcast because I don't, I don't want to dwell on all the negative." Yeah. So, uh, I think if somebody's never listened to Which it, is fair
0: because it ends on a fairly heavy note. It does end on
1: a pretty heavy note. So, yeah, and even that, there's, there's. It's hard to tell a story like that to be able to emphasize, look at the good that God has done, but let's not try to wrap up the story with a neat and tidy bow on it. Yep. Because it is, it doesn't have a neat and tidy bow on it. There's still a lot of ragged edges out there. There's still a lot of really hurting people. There's still a lot of broken relationships. Yeah. And I am, maybe I'm just crazy enough and just optimistic enough to believe that the story is still not done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh. Well, and I think though, you know, with, 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 the heavy note that it's on, I think part of, for me, part of the heaviness is knowing that he's, he's still, you know, operating yeah. and, and, and the questions of accountability and whatever else that, yep. that, that sustain.
1: I share all those same concerns. I think that going on that podcast and even now this one, I know not the, not the same level of listenership, but the first time that I ever really was, uh, felt comfortable speaking publicly about mm-hmm. any of these things. Yeah. Um, I prefer, have always preferred, to just speak one-on-one directly yeah. with people. Yeah, um, I'm not the I'm not the kind of guy that like writes an open letter or yeah. posts a big a creed on my blog or something like that. Give I, you a I,
0: chance to exp- explain and contextualize. Yeah, it, like every
1: person is an individual person has individual perspective, and I love to be able just to talk to people about it. So, yeah, yeah going on the on on that podcast is the first time that I'm kind of publicly have put myself out there saying, yeah, I I. I i learned about those concerns i i still have those concerns and i i yeah i agree with you on that
0: yeah so. yeah um i think for myself i've uh i think i still struggle with <clears> a little bit how to feel uh like there's part of me that feels like wow this was it almost felt like surveying a, a wreckage mm-hmm. and um and, it, and and it it's it's very traumatic uh uh, sorry, you can see how traumatic, uh, how it could be very traumatic for yes. a lot of people. Yeah. It, it hasn't been for me particularly, but it hasn't made me question like, Oh yeah. Are there seeds of this in me? Totally. Um, and like, and, and are there, is there overlap in the cultures that I've been a part of, especially as a man yep. that have, uh, maybe bounds overstepped and just trying to be more sensitive to my wife in certain ways. Yep. Um, totally. And then, um, but then I'm also I also looked at it as a very uh, nuanced critique mm-hmm. of of uh, a lot that went wrong, yep. poorly with with Mars Hill, and um, I didn't necessarily expect it to have a, a a neat bow of like you know the Disney ending, right? So, so to speak.
1: And look now, there's all these new church plans. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. the sun is shining. Yeah. No, uh, it's not. It's still Seattle. There's no sun. <laughs> I was just in L.A. And uh. Yeah, that's.
0: Comparatively true, <laughs> um, but I I think I'm I'm still groping a little bit mentally for like what am I uh, are the are there specific lessons to be learned Yeah, um, especially you know being in leadership like um, in in leadership adjacent or, or yeah. whatever in, in roles that I've had in the past. It's just like. How can we do better? Yeah, and um, and that's a
1: hundred percent Mike's heart behind doing that podcast. I mm-hmm. mean, from that conversation three years ago, uh, you know, questions about why why do we as human beings love to follow bad leaders, yeah. corrupt leaders? Yeah. Um, I don't think. What, uh, what year did you guys join our church? Uh,
0: three years ago. Three
1: years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, that would have been, we would have been preaching through the Gospel of John at that point. So, a year or two before that, we did a sermon series in the book of Judges. Okay. And uh, I don't recommend it for any other preachers listening out there. Don't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't endeavor. <laughs> just, just, uh, yeah, count the cost because it's such a dark book. But there's a story about, um, one of, the, one of the guys, one of the judges towards the end, and it's just, uh, uh Abimelech, the, the son of Gideon. Just the very worst, the very worst judge, and just being like this horrible leader, and it. But you see that it's like the people flock to him Hmm. and want him in that role. Yeah, and so it's one of those things where it's there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, we as people, I'm convinced, we often feel weak, we often feel powerless, Mm -hmm. we feel at the mercies of nature we feel at the mercies of forces larger than us we feel at the mercy of all sorts of things and so we are going to look for some sort of savior we're gonna look for a god we're gonna look for a king for some people it's just money i'm yeah. just gonna get as much money as i possibly can money is the, power the is, god yeah. Molech will be my king and money is power and, and that'll be fine for some it's knowledge right the whole knowledge is power kind of thing i'm gonna study i'm gonna learn i'm gonna you know, a mass of knowledge. For some people, it is a there's the there's the what do you call it? Like a totem. It's a physical manifestation of this is the kind of person who will be strong for me. This mm-hmm. is the kind of person who will who will help me wage my war mm-hmm. and will help provide me with a sense of safety and security. Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, I am convinced that that is only ultimately met in Jesus Christ yeah, yeah. he is he is the only wise king he's the only one it's funny um, in Plato's Republic 500 years before the before the birth of Jesus he has this section where he talks about you know the, the kings the rulers they're really good at getting things done yeah. but they are not wise and they don't think things through and then he says, the philosophers, the philosophers... The are... times have
0: changed now. Everybody... <laughs>
1: yeah. He says, well, the philosophers are amazing because they, they're wise and they think things through. Yep. They're just really terrible at getting things done. They yep. they sit around all day and they talk. And he goes, man, wouldn't it be ideal? And he said, he said group leadership is terrible because everyone has different opinions. He goes, what we need is one king who's also a philosopher. We need one ruler who is also ultimately wise. We need, yeah. we need the only wise king. Yeah which is just blew my mind when i read that years back <laughs> it's like, like a foreshadowing 500 years before the birth of jesus plato was saying if only there was one person who could be ultimately wise and ultimately powerful and use that for the good of the society yeah sign me up for that guy yeah. It's like hey plato it's
0: like you put it in the suggestion box exactly it's
1: like... yeah it's like hey it's it's jesus but i think that that desire just runs so deep in the human heart yeah people want someone to be powerful on their behalf and it gives us a sense of feeling powerful uh,
0: that uh, you, you kind of you read my notes um <laughs> i actually didn't but, uh. <laughs> no I, did, I didn't want to send you all my notes yeah. um I, one thing i'm struck by is the ambition the vision the conviction the resilience uh that any leader needs but that you know driscoll had an mm-hmm. abundance yep and it's that power that you know, like that certainty that he uh, um, that he displayed, yeah. that is so attractive. And I would say, in my experience, that um, the common person is, for whatever reason, unable to to feel the same for his or herself individually. Mm. Yeah. And so, uh, because you know we all want to be a part of something big. We all want to be a part of something that wins. Yep. And he tapped into that really well. Yeah. And, um, Mars so, Hill
1: was a sports team for a lot of people. Yeah. We're the numbers, the metrics was we're we're conquering the other, whatever the other churches or we're conquering paganism or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah that feeling of power.
0: So how do you, uh, I mean, it, it, uh, I, 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 as a pastor, mm-hmm. how do you, Kind of build the same momentum or, or or come to the same conviction level of conviction, but uh, use it appropriately.
1: Yeah. Whew, it's a big question, and I most certainly do not think I have it nailed or figured out by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, two things come to mind for me. Number one, in uh, theology proper, classical theology proper, proper the study of the doctrine of God. Mm. One of the things we learned is about God's simplicity or his, basically that God is not divided in his essence. Mm -hmm. So any of the attributes that God possesses, they all exist in perfect harmony with all of the other attributes. So if we were to say something like God is loving, that loving is at the exact same time wisdom. Mm -hmm. And that wisdom is power. Like all of these attributes of who God is. And so, when you take, when you take certain attributes, whether it's of God or just of, of living as image bearers of God, yeah. and you elevate them apart from the other attributes that help define and hold them in check, because um, you can see this with so take something power, right? Unchecked power becomes a very harmful thing. Yeah. But power is one of the attributes of God. God is powerful. Yeah. He upholds Jesus upholds the universe by the word of His power. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus' power is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And we as image bearers of God, we also possess power. And power is a very good thing. Yeah. The power to move a bunch of rocks and build a road or build a bridge or the power to stand up against uh, injustice and use that power and that force. Power is a good thing. Yeah. But when it becomes untethered from other attributes that give it a uh, fuller dimension, mm-hmm. then it can become a very dangerous thing. Yeah. Same could be said about, um, somebody, somebody recently, I, I don't even remember who, somebody on Twitter had this thing, uh, somebody wrote an article about empathy being a sin or the sin of empathy. And the way they worded it and the way they wrote it, I think um, was really, really, um, unfair. It was just really ill-advised. Okay. But when I kind of sorted through the noise, there, there was a kernel of truth to what they're saying because, um, Uh, So my family being involved in, like, homeless ministry, foster care ministry, drug addiction, recovery, for mostly my whole entire life. Um, You know, being here in the Seattle area, we know that opioid crisis and homelessness, these are really, really bad problems. And there are some who, through empathy, want to come in and help others. But the empathy alone needs to be qualified with other attributes. Um, because, so this is, I mean, this is something I have as a lifestyle experience of how do you actually help someone get out of the trap of addiction? How do you help someone get actually out of the trap of homelessness? Yeah. It takes more than just empathy. Empathy is the starting point, but it takes more than just empathy. Yeah. So all of these different attributes, all of these different things that come from who God is and we as image bearers possess them as well. So something like power right now is a really big thing that people are talking about, um, uh, what's his name? Andy Crouch has a book called Uh Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. Okay. And it was written it was written maybe 2013 or something like that, okay. before Mars Hill exploded. And he had a little short follow-up book called Strong and Weak, hmm. in which he also talks about you know strength and weakness and vulnerability and power and how all these things work together. So it's kind of a part A, Part B sort of book that he wrote. And um those books were really helpful and really meaningful because right now it seems fairly Popular, very common to just demonize power overall. Yeah. But it's it's power used in the right way to affect the lives of others for the good. Yeah. Or to be a blessing, or to stop uh, the forces that would bring us harm. So again, I, I'm speaking kind of theoretically right now. Yeah. I don't claim to have it all figured out in my own life. I know that as a parent, we have such incredible power over our children. Yeah. I mean, especially when they're little. Yeah. You have, literally have the power of life and death over them.
0: Yep.
1: yep. Uh, and, but yet a mom with that much power over a baby uses that power to nurse that baby and yep. to change its diapers and to take care of it. Yep. So there is such a thing as love and power that can exist together. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. I mean, as you were talking, it, uh, this is uh, maybe not exactly. you were trying to represent but um i was talking to a friend who said you know when i hear this preacher preach i just hear the anger Mm. and where's you know where's the love where's the sensitivity and all that stuff and uh it was in that moment that i began to kind of think through like it it is part of the struggle of being a finite being trying to represent an infinite being right because we cannot represent the uh the infiniteness in our finiteness we can and and in order to talk about the depths of something, we have to kind of abstract ourselves or dig into yeah. one of them, but then synthesizing it back with all the other uh, uh, traits of who God is, it's it's really hard. It's too. super hard. And and like you think about all the, I I feel hesitant to say, but like all the pastors that are are you know known, mm-hmm. and they all kind of have their own thing that they're known for, right? Mm-hmm. And. Um, and it's kind of their reputation, but we would be foolish as listeners to think that they are comprehensive representations of who God is, Yeah, because they are only finite, they've only lived, what, 60, yeah. 80 years? Yeah, at the most. The ones who are probably more worth listening to, and who have a character <laughs> worth listening to, but right. uh, at least on that scale. But um, And then, you know, part of what you're saying, too, that there's a character, there's a maturity that you need, because yep. I remember hearing um, one guy say about... Uh, a lot of celebrity pastors that, you know, their their influences outpace their character.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's completely true. It's hard because... Um, okay, there's a guy named Zach Eswine who wrote a book called The Imperfect Pastor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've had the privilege of spending some time with him on a couple different occasions and picking his brain. And But one of the things he said that always stuck with me is that so much of American culture is doing more things bigger and louder and faster. Yeah. Whereas the real work of pastoring... Is mostly unnoticed behind the scenes daily mundane things. Yeah. Yeah. And that really stuck with me because again, there's a there is a analogy to parenting there. I'm not saying that they're one and the same, but there is an analogy of parenting there. Um and Paul even uses that in his you know his qualifications for eldership about yeah. the analogy of parenting. But it's like, you know, um, or even in marriage, right? Counsel with guys who are like, oh, I'm sorry, our marriage isn't doing well. I'm going to fly you to Mexico. I'm going to buy you a diamond ring. And it's yeah, like, yeah, but yeah. Did, you, did you help unload the groceries? Did right. you yeah. help do a load of laundry? Those yeah. little daily... Do you care what
0: resonates with her? Yeah.
1: Yep, exactly. You just stop and pray for her. Yeah. Like just those little things all throughout the, the week and the days that actually end up meaning more than the big explosive sort of things. But it's complicated because um, there are times when someone just really is naturally charismatic and gifted and they kind of gain a following and gain some popularity. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a part of the very first vineyard church that was planted by mm. John Wimber in your former neck of the woods yeah, there. In, yeah. Uh, uh, just north of Anaheim. Where is it? Santa or uh, anyways, whatever where it was. Yeah. Sa- where it was in S- Southern California. It's all yeah. a mystery to me, but he was a kid and his parents joined that church and just uh, the way that it blew up was just crazy. And, yeah. You know, this wasn't even in the age of like the true celebrity pastor. This right. wasn't in the age of the internet and all that kind of stuff. But just some people have this gift and they attract a large following. And I don't know what's to be done about that. Should nobody ever have a large following? Right. Maybe should there be?
0: Like, can know? I help it if I resonate with people? Yeah, and, like, yeah. Books have done the same thing for years.
1: Yep. Best some least. books will blow up and yeah. other ones won't. Or, I don't know. I don't have the answer on that, man. I wish I did, because all I know is. <clears throat> Power can be used for good, mm-hmm. but it has to be wielded very carefully. Yeah, uh, it has. There has to be character that's developed with it. There has to be team leadership as a part of it. Yeah, uh, there has to be um, the other aspects of you know, team just, meaning accountability. Yeah, and, true accountability yeah. and leadership team and people that can actually say things to you and. Yeah, because yeah. I, I had a conversation with um, with someone recently who, uh, okay. One of the potential negative side effects of the podcast, the Rise and Fall of Mars podcast, is the normal pastor who has to make hard decisions or do difficult things that people sometimes don't like.
0: Yeah.
1: Now there's the lens of, oh, yeah. you're just being like another Mark Jaskill. Yeah. Yeah. So I am, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that <clears throat> like 20 different pastors... That I know, and so just very like one guy in particular, just the gentlest of the gentle handler of the sheep of the lambs. Yeah, had a member. Oh, you're are you just like another Mark Driscoll? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's there's a deep suspicion of power in the Zeitgeist right now. Yeah, and it sometimes is hard to know. Okay, am I? Am I another Mark Driscoll? Right. Am I so blind to my own yeah. stuff? Am I not seeing this? And so I talked with a guy who is um <clears throat> who's connected with a, a, a pretty well known Christian counselor who's written some books on narcissism and the church and things like that. And was able Chuck, to ask Chuck DeGro. Chuck DeGro, yeah. yeah. So able to ask the question, What will what, am I another Mark Driscoll? Is yeah. there and and the answer that came from him was Are you doing your inner work? Yeah. Like Counseling and, and spiritual direction and maturing in your inner life. And do you have people around you who genuinely can look you in the eye and say, hey, knock that off? Yeah. He said, that's it. Yeah. That's all we can hope in. Are you really truly doing the inner work of the soul, growing in Christ likeness, putting sin to death, getting yeah. self aware, getting Agents. all yeah. those, the spiritual formation? Yeah. And then the people around you who, no BS, can look you in the eyes and say, hey, you need to stop that.
0: Well, and there's discernment needed on both sides, right? There's discernment as as a congregation that that needs, we need to, like, and sometimes we lack because it's just like, oh, I, uh, like, you almost see it with cancel culture too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, It's like, oh, this person said something that offended some, must have offended somebody somewhere. Yeah. So we need to cancel him or her. Right. And, but like, not every action, like you're saying, not every activity Mm -hmm. uh, asserting power or authority is going to be uh, done inappropriately. Yeah.
1: We had, during the pandemic, uh, like the height of the lockdowns and all the initial stuff, we had to make <clears throat> a pretty difficult decision for our daughters related to their schooling. Mm-hmm. And that decision was so hard to make because I knew they weren't going to like it. Yep. But I, Aaron Lynn and I had... Talked about it, prayed about it, and we came to the conclusion, like, this is the right decision to make. And they were really unhappy, and yeah. they were still unhappy for quite a while. And if I went home and talked to them about it now, they would still be pretty unhappy with me about it. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those things, like, I had to make a hard decision, yeah. and my, my children, whom I love, didn't like it.
0: Yeah.
1: But um, is that an abuse of power, just because they felt uncomfortable or unhappy right it's a complicated thing and the problem is is it takes cool heads it takes nuanced thinking Mm -hmm. and those things are not particularly uh they're in more short supply these days than we (laughs) would like well
0: and uh it, it would seem that our culture and our society at this point is so so much more geared towards uh the reflexes what what is it that would make me happy yeah right and so then we assume that that is actually what is responsible, or that is actually what's best for me. Yeah. That's not an incorrect. That is an incorrect assumption. And yeah. in, your, in your case, what was best for your daughters mm-hmm. is not necessarily what made them happy. Yep. Yeah. But you chose to either protect them from something or put them in a situation that would cause them to flourish better yeah. in ways that they at this point yeah won't and probably can't understand.
1: Yeah. You know what's interesting too is in these in these times that we're living in. Um, Have you ever heard of... uh, Are you familiar with Bowen's family systems theory? Mm -mm. It's kind of a new pet thing that I've been dabbling in uh, (laughs) since before... Since about a year ago. uh, Last February I was introduced to it. Um, Basically, there was a guy named Murray Bowen who... Uh, He was a counselor, he was a psychologist, he worked in like a mental institution, like an inpatient thing, and he would do a lot of like one-on-one therapy, Mm -hmm. but then he started noticing these really common patterns within the families when they would come and visit, Mm -hmm. and he noticed the way that the behavior of one family member would affect the behavior of another family member, and so he spent like 30 years studying family systems. So instead of treating therapy in just like a you know one on one individual level, he started doing therapy in kind of the group yeah, the group level, dynamic. Yeah, the group dynamic. And so he had a student named Edwin Friedman, who who was um, he was a psychologist, also a therapist, but he also was a rabbi of a synagogue in I think in New York. And so he started to notice it's not just in families that these patterns happen. It's just generally It's actually groups. in like in groups and and people that have close relationship and proximity to each other. So a leadership team or a a, a corporate board oh. or and then he so actually. So another
0: lens for you to see things.
1: Yeah, too. and so he actually started to extrapolate it all the way out to the level of a full society, oh. and you can see the way that these these patterns will play out even within a society so it's been so interesting reading about this and studying this so reading edwin friedman's book failure of nerve talks a lot about the society-wide version of it i've read two other three other books on the subject as well in the last year and just for like you know leadership team dynamics in the church in my own family in my own marriage Um, but one of the principles of one of the underlying forces that makes this whole thing run is the idea of anxiety and reactivity so not anxiety is in like feeling nervous or yeah, fear it's yeah. it's a more kind of generalized term for anxiety it's just I'm unsettled I'm upset. Yeah. And when that happens we as humans are so connected that we will actually catch that from each other. Okay. We'll actually catch that yeah. anxiety and we'll actually yeah. react to each other. Yeah. And what we're seeing right now you know you the, I think this all was kind of spurred by your comment it's about a contagiousness. It's a contagiousness so you mentioned like cancel culture where you know, we used to kind of think of, oh, well, cancel culture is the more kind of left-leaning, progressive, yeah. the the college speech codes and things like that. But the way you see that it has now become this weaponized tool from people on either side of the political aisle yeah. to cancel or to scorn. And yeah. it's this, it's I feel like I'm sitting there watching this, you know, Bowen's family systems theory, anxiety reactivity fest happening back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And someone has to be able to, within that family system, disrupt, it. disrupt the the pattern and has to live by principle and not by reaction, hmm. and that's—I
0: don't know—it's almost like, oh yeah, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do that, yeah. like, that sort of a thing. Yeah, you
1: see it with your kids. I mean, you guys have just the one, but yeah. with families with multiple kids, yeah. it's like, well, they accidentally stepped on my foot, so I pulled their hair, so they hit me with the brush, so yeah. then I threw a toy at, them, like it's just, just an the escalation. way it always escalates and it yeah. reacts, and um, yeah. For us as a society to try to pull out of that, to be able to have cooler heads prevailed, to live by principle yeah. and not by the emotional reaction. I don't know. It's if I'm a pretty optimistic person, but that feels pretty daunting at this point in the world. <laughs> so I'm focused on trying to have my own heart be that way, my family, yeah. and to whatever extent I can, our church, our leadership teams, things like that, to be able to... Let's stop. Let's analyze this. Let's operate by principle, not just by knee-jerk reaction.
0: Yeah, what do we know to be true? Which is
1: actually super hard for me as an intuitive person because I love reacting. Yeah. I'm I, I, I am like a musician. Chat. a yeah. musician, right? I'm playing with other people. Yeah. Oh, they did that thing and I'm going to react to it. Yeah. Like There's yeah. just a lot of that that I have lived by. So this is kind of an, uh, a discipline for me to try to pull out of some of those reactivity spirals. Yeah. Because I think some of those abuses of power too come from people who are just reacting against... Pain or trauma that they experienced. Mm. They're yeah. reacting against experiences they had in childhood or whatever,
0: yeah. and then just projecting it onto and the and circumstance or whoever. Yeah, them.
1: yeah. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be the biggest, most baddest, most popular pastor I can because I felt ignored as a child or whatever. I'm not specific speaking specifically about Mark Driscoll or whatever, yeah. but yeah. just things like that that will drive us uh, in unhealthy ways. So. Yeah. Oh.
0: Huh. Yeah. I mean, it, it I was uh, talking or we took a class from a guy. Uh, who was teaching about, you know, emotional intelligence and just talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, stimulus response. And like, there's a gap though between that, right? And you can choose how you respond, but that, that is, that is a muscle. Right? Yes, and you have to work at it and you have to be
1: I literally conscious. read that quote this morning in our the, staff meeting the Frankel yeah Frankel yep exactly that exact Victor quote Victor Frankel yeah. there is a, cap, a gap between stimulus and response and, yeah that's you know, such a good such a good thought
0: yeah and, and to know his backstory too right Being, yeah like, I
1: actually don't know as much about him but he was quoted in one of the other books that I read so. I think
0: he was uh, a Holocaust survivor and so oh, yeah. For him to say that, like, okay, then it's it's not little just credibility. Like, it's just like an, an academic saying, yeah. Oh yeah, you know, I think I've studied this, yeah. but it's like, no, in my
1: experience, well, doesn't that feel I don't know, I mean, maybe you you're you're probably a more thoughtful, you talked about just being kind of a more internal and thoughtful sort of person. I'm a more external, but I think for all of us there's at least that shared experience of the experience that happens. Yeah. And then I here's my response, here's my reaction to it.
0: Um So, you're asking about me specifically. Yeah. How does it show up? Um, You know, I guess with family, it's always different, right? Um, Because it's like, oh, there they go again. Yeah. And so, trying to fight against that. um, I, as you were talking, I I actually, and you you said, well, we only have the only child. Mm -hmm. I notice it a little bit, but maybe a little bit differently. Like, when when Christy or I will interact with Isaiah Mm -hmm. and you know, we we can see the others getting a little frustrated. Mm-hmm. We'll almost kind of come in on the side. Yeah. But we're a little unsure of, like, we want to kind of diffuse the, the, uh, the agitated, yep. the agitation. Yep. But then at the same time, you don't want to, um, like... Uh, Subvert the authority of the other. Yeah. And so you're trying to, trying to. to Bowen thre- theory calls that away.
1: triangulation. That's one of his eight principles. Mm. Is the, when there's instability there, we're yep. trying to get that third party in there to help bring the stability.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the moments where, like, something's already going on that I don't have time to think about. And yeah. it's just like, okay, I better go do something. Hmm. Uh, but I think my thoughtfulness is more uh, easily, uh, uh, I guess. I was gonna say mind or revealed. Mm. If I am asked to come in as a third party or more, okay. like a, a counselor okay. type of herb, yeah. Hey, can you give some more different perspective on this? Here's here's what we're thinking, and gotcha. we're seeing, and so if I'm in the middle of it, it's a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, and so I, I found that I'm actually better instructing. I, I oversee one one person at work, yeah, and she does stuff that I used to do, but okay. I'm better at kind of. Helping her understand, hey, here's the bigger picture that's actually going on. Right. And so what I'm seeing you do is similar to how I reacted. Gotcha. And so I can kind of coach her through her that it, yeah. better than... Yeah, and I help
1: her the- avoid some of the reactivity that you yeah.
0: used to operate in when you're just... Exactly. are just swatting at flies. Yeah, I'm just like <laughs> distressed and angry yeah. and just like yeah. simmering, internalizing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in. In the third and final part of our conversation, Aaron and I talk about pastoring during COVID-19 and also the church moving forward in an apparently divided America. Hope you all are safe and well. Talk to you next week.